Well, hello everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in to find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let's just be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, so let's get started. Today's podcast is titled Holy in the Everyday. Now, I'm going to pause here and just say this is a day of honor and gratitude because this is another significant milestone for me. At the end of this podcast, you'll want to stick around just to hear a special announcement. But for now, let us explore about what it means to find the holy in the everyday. And I want to start this by asking you some questions. So I'll give you just a little bit of warning. This might be a little philosophical. But these are contemplative questions, and you can use these kinds of questions as meditation or your journaling practice. So many of you ask me about how you can expand your spiritual practice. Well, sometimes it's just as simple as sitting with some questions. So that's how we're going to use these today. But if they start to feel a little overwhelming or anything like that, just just take a walk away from them or step away from them, and maybe it's just not time for you to consider them. But what I'd like you to consider is how you daydreamed as a child. So for me, we had this big tree that was in our front yard, just this massive oak tree. And I would love to go out there on a summer day and lay underneath it and look up and see the the sky peeking through the leaves and see the clouds floating by. And that was like the best spot for me to move into just pausing and contemplating life. So ever since I was a little girl, you can imagine, I've kind of been this way. I've been kind of a contemplative person and very much an introvert. So I'm inviting you into a a mature spiritual daydream, if you will, even though it doesn't have to be mature. You can do whatever you want to with it. So here's your first question. What does it mean to you to find heaven on earth? What is on earth as it is in heaven? What does that mean to you? So the Bible tells us that Jesus invited us to pray this on earth as it is in heaven in the Lord's Prayer. What does that mean? What is our part, which means our collective human part? What does that mean? What is our part for creating heaven on earth? Is this actionable? Do we act in partnership with the divine to create heaven on earth? Or is it passive? Do we just sit and wait for it? Like we're just saying heaven on earth because we expect something to fall out of the sky and we get to partake in it. We just pray that forward. Now some say that this heaven on earth reference that's actually in the Bible several times, this is a reference to a time when Jesus returns and then we'll have heaven on earth. But still others say that we have a responsibility to usher this, this end by how we exist while we are here. So that much of the suffering that has occurred isn't the result of the lack of presence of God as much as, as it is in the action of humans with the lack of presence of God in them. So I want to say that again. If we feel like we have this responsibility to help create heaven on earth, why isn't heaven on earth existing now? Is it because of the lack of presence of God or is it the lack of presence of God inside of humans? 
So I believe in the on earth as it is in heaven, that this is actionable, that we are partners in creating this. So that is the path we're going to go to today. And that shouldn't surprise you. I think by now you know that I have a a more of a progressive Christian type theology, as well as an interfaith. Since I'm an ordained interfaith minister, of course, I accept all paths to God as being sacred. So that shouldn't surprise you. I'm constantly inviting myself to consider self-growth and self-awareness as well. So for me, this is how my, my spiritual paradigm has shifted over the years. I, for one, fully reject any dogma that is about the spiritual seeker sitting by and praying to receive abundance and prosperity, but doing little to relieve the suffering in the world. I just cannot find anything in the Bible to reconcile that kind of theology. But a lot of times that kind of theology is exactly what's causing some of the suffering. And that's been going on for years. That's not anything new here. So that kind of theology means that we often will perpetuate the suffering of others so that those in power can continue to be rewarded monetarily and with more power. My theology is one where I believe we are called to be a part of relieving the suffering. How do we help create heaven on earth to help others find that as well? So this leads us to what can be considered a philosophical segment, if you will, of theology, and that is duality. So in duality, we believe that there is a reason or a right for some to live apart from others. And in a non-duality existence, we see that everything we do, every breath we take, every action that we create inside our own lives, if it negatively impacts another, then that is something that we want to remove ourselves from because we are all created to intersect our lives one with the other. So this might be something for you to consider when we are looking at how we plan our lives, our goals. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have a full and rewarding and financially rewarding career and and plan for things around your life that allows you to partake in uh, things because you have worked hard. It's, it doesn't require to exist at a sacrificial level where suffering becomes part of your existence. But what it does say is that we need to consider our responsibility for other humans. It is what I believed Jesus was saying when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. It goes above tolerance. So what it does is it invites us to look at our systems, not just our personal values and our code of ethics. It invites us to look at our government systems, our political systems, and how they impact others. Because I believe that's what Jesus was teaching all along. He was teaching us to unify our beliefs so that the least of these had a place on this earth, that heaven on earth could exist 
when you removed those barriers, which is why he spent time with the outcast. So I know many will not agree with me, and this isn't their podcast with all due respect, because this dualistic theology is something where we have to figure out, is it moving us towards the kind of world where we want to live? Does a dualistic view of world usher in heaven on earth? Well, that's not going to mean anything to you if this is the kind of theology where you believe that everything happens here for a reason because ultimately paradise is in heaven. Well, there is no human alive here on this planet or who has lived before who is qualified to make those kinds of conditions for another human. That is the kind of thinking that continues to oppress other people. So let me ask you a question. If we, if we, were, if we accept this theology, this belief that heaven can exist on earth, what would those aspects, what would those elements of existence, what would they look like? Well, for me, they would look like this, that there would be enough, that there would not only be enough, that there would be abundance. So if we are creating a system where everyone has enough and abundance, then we are creating a stronger community where there's camaraderie because we understand that even the person who has the least still has value. There's unity. There's respect and tolerance. We cannot relieve pain and suffering because that's part of this human experience, but we can help comfort. We can be empathic. We can be caring. And that's not just on a global level. It takes us down to our individual level. How do we show up? Where, where do we not meet those aspects of what it means to have heaven on earth. And that's just my example. There can be, if we put uh, a lot of people in a room, I'm sure the wall would be filled with ideas of what it means to have heaven on earth. So what does that look like if we were going to take it down to an individual level? Well, if we had true heaven on earth, Not only would we have enough, not only would we have abundance to share it, I believe we would have a sense of peace. We would have an awareness of how our actions impact others. We would also have rest. Sometimes this perpetual cycle that we're on where we work just to get by is exhausting. I don't believe that that was even any of the tenets of what Jesus had envisioned when he saw a reality that could exist that would be respectful and loving and kind and tolerant for everyone. But the reality is that heaven on earth is not possible for many of us right now. In fact, for the vast majority of us. So how many of you right now have financial worries, especially in this season of the pandemic? How many of you are lonely? I mean, this is some of the most trying times for those of you who thrive on connection or feel like you're missing out because 
the the bonds that you share with community and with friends just can't exist. We have divisiveness in our homes and with our families, whether near or far. And we do have sickness and we have sorrow. We don't have the resources to take care of some people in our society or even in our family. Healthcare continues to be an issue even here in America. So this pain that perpetuates in the earth and even in our lives is constant, isn't it? It just continues to just flood us in the waves of the, the cycle of worry and anxiety continue to come at us. So that leaves me to circle back to the question, knowing this human experience, especially as we plant it inside this pandemic, is heaven on earth possible? Well, my friends, it isn't. Not in this current system. Not in the way we do business. Not in the way we've structured some of our government systems. It simply is not. The other part of that that we must consider is if we are sitting at a place where we are comfortable, but yet we look back and the bridge has been burned between those of us who have enough and those who don't have it and aren't comfortable and who are suffering, are we being a part of building that bridge? Or do we just have no commitment or responsibility for that? We feel that now that we're across the bridge and we're comfortable, we have no accountability to do anything about that bridge. I don't believe that. Especially here in America, we have the capacity for three identities or origins by being here. We are either immigrants, and I call myself that even though I am born here and I'm, an, I'm a citizen of the United States. My original family was had to have been immigrants. Even though I do have Native American blood, I don't have enough to qualify or even call myself. I would never call myself a Native American and discredit the true Native Americans that are here, or you were brought over as enslaved people. That's it. So when did we decide when the bridge was going to be burned so that those who arrived here later are under a different definition, don't get to cross the bridge. So let's look out a little farther and, and let's decide, or let's just discuss farther what it means to have heaven on earth. So we might not have it ideal, but there are some good things that are happening. There are some good people who are working for the good of the whole. There are, there are people who are working as bridge builders, as soul soothers, as healers, as people who are trying to right the wrongs in social justice and equity. And it doesn't mean we won't suffer because we will. We're humans. We are souls having this human experience. We are going to be subjected to the laws of nature. But when it comes to be subjected to what has been enforced by humans, this is where we need to look at how we need to change because that's what I believe Jesus meant. When he said, heaven on earth, love your neighbor as yourself, that it can all be here. When we rise above the limitations that we have put around how we exist. So this spiritual daydream here where we can see what heaven on earth looks like outside of ourselves, where we're not just 
looking at the nice clothes or the nice car. There's so much more. If we're stuck in that, then we are not at a place where we're, we're considering what heaven on earth means as Jesus meant it. But my mystical, mystical approach to Christian faith and my spirituality is right here in plain view, and I am inviting you to be a part of it. And to some of you, it might feel very esoteric. It might feel like this cannot happen. It's not doable. But for me, it is. Because I, I can no longer hold on to a theology that requires that there always be the less thans. Because that has been the root of so much pain and divisiveness. We've all been witness to what it means to justify racism, homophobia, oppression of women, declaration of other religions as demonic. I just can't, even though I hear these words and justification for all of that, using scripture, I can't get past Jesus' own words when he said the greatest commandments are these, love the Lord God with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. That to me reconciles with the Lord's prayer of heaven on earth. That to me reconciles with the Sermon on the Mount where it was blessed are the poor, blessed are the widows, blessed, 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 blessed be. How do we start to put asterisks or conditions on those words of Jesus to qualify what we think heaven on earth is if it doesn't hold room at the table for the least of these? Now, we could continue to study and know this ancient scripture to try to figure out how we could better understand what exactly Jesus was talking about. And this is where it can get vastly, vastly different for each of us. But even if we went back and started to argue about all of this ancient, ancient scripture and the writer's intent, we are not ever going to come to consensus. There is never going to be a universal translation. It's always going to break down into denominational beliefs and different religious beliefs. So what we have to decide as just humanity, as brothers and sisters looking for ways to coexist that treats the earth gently and each other respectfully, what what can we afford? Or more importantly, what is needing to be released so that we can invite heaven on earth? I believe that our inability to see scripture outside of some of the literal translations or our inability to let go of our dominion over the earth or this we're going to suffer here because my reward is in heaven is some of the biggest causes for people leaving religion and specifically Christianity. Because this is something hard to hear, but if we believe that something is better in the afterlife, then why, why do we have to do anything here? We're solid. We're in. So we don't take any responsibility. And for those of us who are aware of social injustices or the suffering in the world and the, for people, for instance, who are experiencing hunger or who are experiencing homelessness and where the poverty levels continues to rise, people can't reconcile a religious belief that doesn't take a part of the responsibility of 
easing the suffering of others. Now, I'm not saying that there are churches or religions that don't take part in that. There's all kinds of beautiful ministries where they are offering food and clothing and um, ministries where they go and they they dig wells for, for people. I understand all of that. But we're talking about a larger concept where we have to see how this perpetual cycle of keeping people oppressed actually has some religious beliefs and has religious foundation. And I believe that we honor Jesus's ministry when we actively participate in heaven on earth and be a part of what he prayed. Now, I'm going to move this conversation even into a little bit more um, controversial uh, aspect when I say that I believe that Jesus was political. He was constantly pushing back on establishments of oppression. It's my belief that he would not recognize any of this modern version of Christianity, especially the ones that are politicized and oppress others. If they're, if they're oppressing them because of they don't believe like, love like, look like us, I don't believe Jesus would recognize anything that we call the Christian faith that's named in his name. So do our politics mirror some of what Jesus modeled for us. So we know that Jesus was on the radar of the those in power in Rome because he was seen as a disruptor. Now I'm quoting uh, Reverend Mark Sandlin who writes for Progressive Christianity. And uh, Reverend Sandlin wrote, and I quote, people who were crucified were crucified by Rome. Rome crucified people who were seen as a threat to the political order. Jesus was crucified because uh, the Roman authorities of the day saw him as a real threat to the state, a threat to political order, and more importantly, a threat to those in power. So that was the reason Jesus was crucified, but was because of his political views. So we see that in when Jesus modeled an acceptable behavior, when he went into the temple and he turned over the money tables, when he turned over the tables right inside the temple. This is where he was accusing the Sadducees and the Pharisees of corruption. He said they were turning God's house into a den of thieves. Now, this system was openly corrupt. Everybody knew that you had, you had to go there to exchange money to be able to use your money, whether you're using Rome, Rome currency, and this is the way you did it. So those in power kept getting richer, but the people who were being oppressed knew they had no choice. In order to get the currency that they needed in order to survive, they had to go to the temple and exchange the money. Jesus was enraged by that. He gave us the roadmap for righteous anger. It was actionable. He had no trouble disrupting the system in front of the powerful Pharisees and Sadducees, as well as the Roman soldiers who would have been patrolling the area because they were always making sure that no one was really coming to power that would threaten the Roman authorities. So they would have seen this and it would have caught their eye. So not only did he create the physical disruption, he condemned them. He condemned the oppressive governmental system that was perpetually 
suffocating the livelihood of the people. This system guaranteed that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would stay in power and would continue to, to create wealth that did not trickle down. And if you want to con, con, continue to believe that trickle-down economics works, you go ahead and do that. But we have right here in the Bible the system that tells us that Jesus condemned this type of system because he knew that it, it ensured that the least of these would have to stay poor and suffering in order for those in power to, cre to stay in wealth. So Reverend Sandlin goes on to say, quote, it's laughable to say that Jesus wasn't political. So I have that said to me sometimes. One time I had somebody say, Reverend Carla, I just love it when you post pictures and stories about your grandkids. And that was right after I had posted something that was quite political. I'm not afraid to be a disruptor. Certainly not comparing myself to Jesus, but I do try to model my ministry after what I see he modeled for us to follow. So I get that, that a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, and I'm okay with, point, uh, with, with posting pictures of my grandchildren, but when I'm called to call, call out what I think is corruption or oppression, I'm going to continue to do that because Jesus in, instructed us to do that. So heaven, heaven is indeed on earth. Jesus modeled this heaven on earth. He told us what it was to look like. It was to be a place of grace, love, and justice. So how do we become a partner in creating heaven on earth? How do we switch our emphasis, our obsession with the afterlife and focus on the now? It's so easy to go to sleep and just say, you know what, I'm not, I, that's not my responsibility because my reward is in heaven. I don't believe that's what Jesus was telling us. And I believe our first step in accepting our responsibility in creating heaven on earth is inviting our ego to go to sleep. That has no place in spirituality. Yes, our ego has structure and it can be a positive aspect of who we are as long as it's working in partnership with us. But a lot of times when we go to the place where we feel detached, that's an ego that's that's overriding your spiritual connection to the earth and to your fellow humans. It disregards the second greatest commandment. So when that ego goes to sleep, the soul can then lead the way. And when the soul is leading the way, everything looks vastly different. Your day is structured differently. Your priorities become shuffled. But this is where the possibilities explode. So we're not only looking for sacred ways in our own personal ways, where we should always be looking to, for those of us on a spiritual path, where we should be looking at how we can heal what's broken inside us so that we show up more fully into our lives. If we've got places where we're guarded and hurt and bitter, those are places where our spiritual our spiritual practices isn't getting in there and in there to change who we are. That's going to impact our lives. But when we decide that we're going to be active partners of creating the heaven on earth, we're not only looking at the inward, we're looking on the outward. So outside of our homes, in the people around us, we're looking for ways that we can connect. It is actionable. This is where we start to find the pockets of the holy in the everyday. That is where heaven is on earth. That can only happen 
with a willingness and an acceptance that we don't know everything. We are not all knowing. If you are breathing, then you have more to learn. Spirituality isn't, isn't a one-off at salvation where we can just act and do that dominion over the earth is our right because we have no responsibility until we get to heaven. Dr. Reverend John Robinson wrote about this type of thinking by saying, just stop, stop talking, stop thinking, stop whatever you are doing. We are standing right now in heaven on earth. But it requires us to accept a mystical approach to our existence and to release God to this as well. Divinity then is everywhere and everything. That's a little bit of him and a little bit of me in there. So, uh, But I'll put the full quotes of Dr. Robinson in the show notes. But beloved, we are God. God is in us. Heaven is on earth. This question is what I would like to leave you with today. Where can the holy be found in this day for you? Not only in how you can be rewarded, but how it shows up in your life around you. Take your time in answering that question. It's a perpetual question. It's something we should constantly check in to see how our priorities are being shaped around what we believe and how our spirituality is growing into this notion that the holy can be found in every day and in every where. And blessed be and amen. Okay, so now this is the time when I typically answer a question, but for today, I do have what I think is exciting news. I have written my first book. Da 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 da. And I, while I love writing, I never thought of myself as a writer to the extent that one day I would have authored a book, but that is exactly what I did. And the name of that book is The Holy in the Everyday. So this is a journey through the year written for the spiritual but not religious, but it's also for anyone on a spiritual path. It's 365 days of inspiration for those seeking encouragement and wisdom in life's sacred moments. So this might be exactly what you're looking for if you're looking to shift your spiritual paradigm in a way where you can start to recognize those holy pockets of moments that you might have been missing. So it's a very unique daily devotional that will have a, a reading and also a place for you to be actively Um, contemplating what is actually going on in that day. There's going to be uh, lots of information that you'll be able to find on my website. But this is something, if you are searching for the sacredness in the everyday moments of your lives, then I would invite you to consider Holy in the Everyday. Now you can go to my website at revcarla.com to find out more information about its release date and the programs around that book. Okay, beloveds, I am honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you received something. I know I did, because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. So now I invite you to go in peace and be at peace, and go and know that others are on this journey with you. You are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved, just the way you are, and I pray that you find the holy in the everyday. Blessings on your week, and I will see you soon. Bye for now.
We have a special episode of Spirituality Matters for you next week. The episode will come out on Sunday morning as we take a special gratitude journey through the week. There will be seven days of content that you can take in bites each day or listen to the whole episode all at once if you want to. As always, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To submit questions to Rev Carla, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. Follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Check out her blog posts at revcarla.com and sign up for email alerts while you're there so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening.